Well, hey y'all, this is Jean Nathan, it's Crosstown Conversations, and um, wow, it's such a weird week, because we started off with this incredibly moving event in Washington and in 800 cities around the world, right? Um, and here included. And, and uh, I literally, I opened my newsletter saying, I, I'm not a big crier. I, I, I sometimes I, I feel so bad I want to cry and I can't even cry. But I, the, the tears were just streaming down my eyes. I didn't even realize I was crying until after they were dripping on me from watching these kids in Washington. Um, so on the one hand, there was that just incredibly powerful, emotional, uplifting moment. And I'm thinking, okay, I've got to respond. I've had a couple people on in the last two shows, young people talking about, you know, their involvement in this. And I really worked for a couple of days trying to find other organizations. I primarily really wanted to hear from um, some of the black anti-violent organizations. I couldn't quite pin anybody down. Um, and then I said, okay, well, Easter's coming. I love Easter. It's my favorite holiday, so I'm going to lighten up a little because it's been heavy. And let me do kind of fashion, and um, which is, you know, what we will do on the show. And there's a kind of a pub crawl going on. And then the decision comes down in Baton Rouge yesterday. And that that just blew my mind. How I, I mean, everybody watched that video. Everybody watched that video. And how... They could come up with that verdict. And I don't buy the drugs in the system story. I feel like I hope that family wants to challenge that result from the coroner up there and and figure out what's going on. Because it it just is too – I just don't buy that he had all – did you see the list of drugs that they said that was in his system? It was everything. It was the whole – it was the whole drugstore that you could possibly have in uh, recreational drugs. It was it was a, a it was just totally unbelievable, and it's just been a crazy week. And um, I got your notice in the mail, and I said, "Okay, man, they've figured out how to combine a very serious existential issue for our part of the world with a festival." I said, only in New Orleans. That's what we do. Could you wrap your arms around the issue of whether or not we should be accepting fossil fuel money in the art world, in the education world, and what the implications of that are in a festival? So, Imani Brown is with me. And Imani is an arts activist, social activist. She works with Antenna, and she collaborates with half the city in what she does. So you're going to, huh? It's a small town. You know, it's, it it isn't, it isn't in, in, in some ways, um, some of the bigger cities, you know, when you, when you boil down to who's active, it, it, it's not necessarily, you know, the 8 million people in New York, it's going to be that million. And, and we're 2 million. I don't know. I, I don't think of New Orleans as a small town, really. It is when we, you know, acknowledge all the relationships and the cousins and so on. But yeah, yeah the cousin thing is it definitely makes it feel small. But uh, so this is a really interesting event. It's called Fossil Free Fest 
together towards a fossil-free future. And it both has a thread of optimism because we're assuming that we are working on figuring out how to use forms of energy that are not depleting our our supplies and are not polluting the air. Um, and it's a combination, it looks like, of some very serious dialogue, bringing artists and non-artists together. It's all these good things. All right, so, Imani, did you conjure this up? Well, Fossil Free Fest um, is an idea that I've, I've had for, for years now, um, but it's, you know, we're, we never conjure something out of thin air. We're all uh, sort of tapped into this ether, this collective consciousness, and deriving inspiration from here and there. Uh, so I'm very much inspired by the international fossil-free culture movement, um, which is a thing that, you know, is has its little iterations across Europe, across the United States. Um, artists, art workers, um, you know, educators, scientists, activists, the general public recognizing how dangerous it is for our institutions of art, education, science, um, those institutions that really should be kind of leading the way in imagining and designing and showing the way to a more sustainable future um, are bogged down um, by this funding from the fossil fuel industry. Uh, it's not just here. So um, I've been inspired by that movement. And, of course, as you've said, you know, this is New Orleans. I think we do something um, really right by moving through struggle uh, with joy. And it's it's who we are, it's it's who I am, it's how, it's the only way that I honestly know how to move through the world. Um, ever since I was young and, you know, was an activist in the anti-Iraq war movement, I mean, you know, you always have the brass band. So anti-Iraq oh, <laughs> war. Iraq war. Thinking, wait a minute, I was involved in the anti-Vietnam war, but I know you're not nearly that old. No. no. You weren't even alive for that. No. No. <laughs> yeah. But we, we've, you know, we always have, um, you know, Art and, and movement and soul as a part of as a part of our struggle um, as a part of our activism. Uh, so it was it was the natural kind of way to go for me. All right. So um, I, I wasn't aware of the national movement. I'm certainly aware of. I mean, I worked with America's Wetland for years and Global Green for years. So I myself have been very involved in my, in Tan and my husband has always been doing environmentally related art for a long, long time. So I I get the substance of this, but um, the idea, again, still of doing a festival around it. So, all right, explain to me essentially how this event is going to go. Sure. So um, Fossil Free Fest is a week-long festival. It starts next Monday, April 2nd, um, and rolls through April 8th. Um, the 2nd and the 5th are uh, sort of the Warm up the you know uh, to the main part of the fest. Um, we're gonna have evening film screenings all at 6 p.m. at the Broad Theater. And uh, April, what, what's gonna what are the film screenings gonna uh, be comprised of? What what are we gonna be seeing? Right. So we have films that are gonna show us different aspects of um, these issues. We have uh, they're gonna take us um, start us here in Louisiana with My Louisiana Love um, and. Uh, we're going to go from there uh, to looking... What is, what is that about? Uh, so uh, My Louisiana Love is a film featuring uh, Monique Verdun. Um, who oh, is, okay, um, sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. so uh, local mm -hmm. artist and um, activist, a uh, member of the United Home Nation. And mm -hmm. it's a story about, about you know, um, the love of this place and uh, mm -hmm. in the face of this um, 
existential loss of land and home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're going to move um, from here, right here in Louisiana. We're going to go um, from here, um, looking at the extractive industries of uh, maquiladora, uh, maquiladoras um, with a film called Maquilopolis, um, looking at um, our disposable uh, culture that is uh, creating disposable fashion, speaking of fashion, um, uh, that is created in these um, sweatshop, very extractive uh, conditions uh, along the border. We're going to go from there to Peru to learn a, uh, with a film called When Two Worlds Collide and uh, learn more about um, the resistance of indigenous communities in Peru against uh, oil extraction, right? So um, showing that, you know, we, this is a very local struggle, this is a very international struggle. Um, and uh, the final day of the film, the Fossil Free Films, is uh, the fifth, and it's the launch of the Story Shifts, uh, Story Shifts Shorts, said a little bit of alliteration, Story Shift Shorts Salon, uh, which Working Films is collaborating uh, with Fossil Free Fest to present, and it's going to be an ongoing program, so we're really glad to be able to um, be plugging into work that is happening in the long term. So um, that's something that will continue over time. It's not just at, for mm -hmm. this event. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, not only that, we really hope that this fest is going to have a long-lasting mm -hmm. um, uh, effect on the city. And so we've got a lot of different ways that we're going to be bringing that together. So that's the, those were the fossil-free films. Mm -hmm. Then starting on the 6th through the 8th, we have mm -hmm. the fossil-free fest. And those are these three... Um, really intensive days of celebration of music, of film, of art, of food, free food. It's all free and open to the public, but you do have to register, please, so we can budget for enough free food uh, for you all. And um, we've divided up the fest um, into themes to kind of bring our participants on a journey. Um, the fest uh, starts on the 6th. It's uh, 5 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. at Joan Mitchell Center, and the theme is equity. Um, we have a lot of incredible performances uh, and presentations featuring people including uh, the um, inimitable Sonny Patterson, uh, Sultana Isham, Gia Hamilton, Shana Griffin, um, uh, featuring uh, Rebecca Snedeker, mm -hmm. Judith Nieto, Angela Kinlaw, um, many others. Uh, on April 7th, also at Joe Mitchell Center. Um, Wait, before you leave that, let me just understand what that is. So that's, that's, that's performance, it's art, it's food. Uh, it sounds right. like it's also discussion. Yeah, that's right. So, so let's, each, let's so each touch day, on that. sure. So, so to give the sort of the overview, each of these three days is moving us through a journey um, to really understand um, the subject of um, the entanglements between our society, our culture, our economy, and the fossil fuel industry. So we'll start with the theme of equity. Um, and it's a space for us to really understand who are uh, the people most affected uh, by the extractive uh, culture and economy that has uh, existed here in Louisiana for 300 years. We're here recognizing, um, you know, this uh, tricentennial, which really represents uh, 300 years of colonial rule here in Louisiana. Um, and we have a legacy here that has um, not been redressed, right? We have the original extraction of uh, life and land from indigenous populations here in Louisiana. We have the industry of slavery, um, which extracted labor and life from enslaved Africans. 
those plantations uh, have now been leased over, sold over to petrochemical companies. So all up and down the river, you know, up to this area that's now known as Cancer Alley, how horrible, this town called Norco, which used to be called Cellars and was renamed after the New Orleans Refinery Company, a town whose identity became the identity of the plant that is killing the people of that town. Um, so it's an incredible legacy that then continues to this day as we look to the um, extractive industries in Central and South America, many of which are owned by North American, um, you know, Canadian or American, European companies, um, are driving um, a lot of migration to our country. Um, and when the people get here, they're also um, met with this, uh, very similar labor conditions to those faced by enslaved Africans. So we're recognizing that we have this legacy of 300 years of um, extraction, um, but that we recognize that climate change also presents an opportunity, right? Um, our way of life is going to um, need to evolve dramatically for us to be able to face the challenges ahead, and that provides us with an opportunity to design a more equitable and more sustainable um, way of being together, way of living in this land, way of living with each other. Um, so the first day is going to start to explore some of that. The second day, complicity, um, is a space that is asking us ultimately, and the fest is ultimately asking us to realize that we're all complicit. I'm, I'm no better, I'm no less complicit than you. Um, activists often create this, this notion of purity, right? Like I ride a bike and therefore I'm not responsible for climate change. No, 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 we're all, we're all human, right? We're Our own homes uh, are, have been identified as the key source of, um, uh, of, of really carbon emissions. Uh, that's something I learned working with the America's Wetland people and Global mm -hmm. Green. It's the homes, our own homes that are generating so much of this. And Just using refrigerators and hair dryers. And, well, and, and we should recognize that there are a, about 100 companies that are responsible for 70% of emissions, right? So while we are all complicit, I think that that's a source of power, right? Like we all recognize that um, because we're all complicit, we do have agency um, to make changes. But in order to change things like, as you're saying, these, you know, the amount of energy that refrigerators, air conditioning, all of these things are cars, right? Um, all of the plastic bags and plastic bottles we're using. In order to change a lot of these things, sure, some of them are personal life changes. We can all fly less. I certainly should fly less, right? There are all of these life changes we need to be conscious about. But there's also, of course, this major system change that needs to happen. And that's all, all where you, Fossil Free Fest comes in. All you have to do is be married to an artist who <laughs> uh, won't throw anything out and make sculpture out of everything unless I get it into the garbage before he does. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, it's amazing when you parse out uh, all the various elements of mm -hmm. our lives that are reflections of this. I have to tell you, Monet, just um, to share with you an, ex an experience I had, uh, way back in 1973, there was an oil crisis of sorts. And um, I went out to, I was a television journalist at the time with WDSU, and I, I decided to take a camera and, and um, cameraman and go out into Louisiana and, and shoot stories about people who were off the grid, mm -hmm. who were not using energy. And um, we were out in the uh, waters on, uh, off the coast near a place called Pecan Island. I don't know if you've ever been um, in that area, but it's going towards Cameron. Mm -hmm. It's in the middle of the sea. And... Um, we're shooting, and this guy is pulling up crab traps. And he says, I said, how you doing, blah, blah. And he said, listen, lady, you want to do a story? Talk about how the 
pipelines of the oil companies are allowing saltwater intrusion that's killing off our marshes. I mean, I was horrified to hear that. And then I started going to EPA meetings and, and to cover them, and it was like nobody was talking about it. Mm. Nobody was talking about it. And then as recently as Jindal and John Barry tries to bring suit from the levy board to uh, look into this issue of the contracts that the oil companies had with the state who gave them the leases that they got and see did they honor those contracts, which basically called for them to clean up their mess? No, they didn't. And and, and the governor was complicit. And I don't think, quite frankly, I, I'm – thank God we have Edwards and not somebody like Jindal in now. But um, I, I think that we are just so inextricably wound up, as you said, and complicit with the oil industry in this state, the petrochemical industries in this state. That is – it's really hard to – do what needs to be done. Well, if I could offer a diagnosis, I mean, I think the reason why it, and of course it's inextricable in the sense that that's, you know, we, we have, um, we, we, we have wound our economy um, deeply, you know, into the fossil fuel industry. It doesn't mean that that cannot change, right? Um, but it requires a, a consensus to, to change. It requires recognition that the way we've been doing things is going to be our undoing, right? We cannot keep doing what we've been doing for so many decades. Um, we need a culture shift in order to affect that. We need to revoke the social license to operate uh, that we as a society have granted to the oil industry. I mean, I think... So first to say, like, this term that I've just used, the social license to operate, is um, a term that is used by the fossil fuel industry, um, as well as other industries. And it basically means that society has sanctioned the activities of the companies, uh, recognizing that the benefit to society outweighs the cost, right? Um, and Allegedly, yeah. No, well, this is the theory that they right, have, right? Yeah. And um, uh, so, uh, it, so there's a group called Liberate Tate, in the UK, um, who was formed in 2010 after the Deepwater Horizon spill, um, because they recognized their responsibility as UK citizens uh, to hold BP accountable. Um, for that was the called the damage. Great What? Sorry, Liberate Tate. Liberate, Liberate Tate. Tate. So Tate, T-A-T-E, uh, is the name of a contemporary art museum in oh, London. The Tate Museum. Exactly. Oh, okay. So the yeah. Tate was funded by BP, and so they started a six-year intensive ongoing campaign, this group of artists, activists, curators, et cetera, um, to compel the Tate to drop BP as a sponsor. And they won. After six years of sustained, really incredible creative actions, um, Tate dropped BP as a sponsor, right? Um, and Mel Evans, one of the leaders of Liberate Tate, uh, wrote a book called Art Wash, which, by the way, is available um, at a discount for only $8 as an ebook down antenna. from 22 Well, we'll be selling the uh, paperbacks at Antenna, but if you register for Fossil Free Fest, um, for any of the days, April 6th through 8th, you'll get a coupon code to be able to uh, download a discounted version of that ebook. Um, but Mel, in that book, outlines this concept of social license to operate. Mm -hmm. And so the fossil fuel industry intentionally funds um, art, education, those institutions that are beloved by society so that, as you know, so that we um, effectively that the fossil fuel industry wins over the goodwill of society so that we start to associate 
the fossil fuel industry with those Good things stuff. that we love, right? Mm-hmm. We can't see yeah. that we think that they are inextricable. We think that they cannot survive without the fossil fuel industry. Um, that's incorrect. Uh, the tobacco industry used to fund everything in this country, and in the late 90s, early 2000s, they were sued for having lied about uh, the fact that tobacco causes cancer, right? They were forced to pay Classic billions example. in reparations, mm-hmm. right? They were forced to pay billions of, in reparations. They still have to uh, donate money to the public sector. They still have to donate money to institutions, but they are not allowed to put their logos or their names on anything. So mm. we're not saying that the oil industry uh, does not owe the public a great debt. They have been extracting from us, and we certainly have been benefiting, but the benefits have not been equal. Right. Um, and uh, while we, a lot of us in this region, have been suffering with cancer, while we're uh, suffering the fastest land loss in the world, the CEOs of these companies the shareholders of these companies are able to uh, build their their climate change bunkers further upstate. So they do need to uh, pay for climate change and for our um, adaptation um, and preparations for the changes that are still forthcoming. Um, but I think we need to adjust the framework. We They don't own us. It's not a you break it, you buy it policy where now they own us and they get to brand us with their logos, right? We need to flip the script and realize that they need art and education, um, and therefore we have power. We need to say that we won't allow the status quo um, to continue um, and rethink, you know, um, how we how we receive uh, these funds. Which brings us to vision to action. Exactly. So. So that's your last day. That's the last day, and. Um, Again, Complicity, the day of Complicity, the day of the 7th, also has a really robust suite of programming um, featuring Becca Economopoulos as a keynote speaker who's um, a member of the Natural History Museum, a group that successfully convinced the American Museum of Natural History in New York to drop David H. Koch uh, as a board member, um, Koch of Koch Industries, um, one of the most polluting companies in the world, one of the richest men in the world. and um, Serious bad guys. Oh, yeah. And uh, as well as a number of other incredible uh, performances and, and presenters, a complicity session facilitated by Jackie Summel. And then uh, Vision to Action, the last day. Were they successful at uh, they were. History? Yes, okay. they, they were. They David Koch is it's, off it's, the board. It's really amazing. I mean, see, that's, again, back to what this story has been just recently between the women's movement and the Black Lives Matter movement and, these, and the youth movement. Um, all of these are going to have phenomenal impact, and they're the only reason why maybe that Trump horror show in Washington will have value in the end because it stimulated us to get out there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, the severity of the impact of the fossil fuel industry in our state in a way demands of us that we take responsibility and be involved in it. So vision Definitely. to action. So vision to action is um, going to help us imagine what is the world that um, we are trying to move toward? What are we trying to build? The artist Sage Crump is going to be facilitating that session. Um, And then the action session will be um, joint um, facilitated by Another Golf is Possible and Suzanne Dollywall, who um, we're actually really uh, grateful to be bringing from the U.K. Uh, She is with the the No Tar Sands U.K. network and has worked with Liberate Tate, the group that uh, pushed Tate to drop BP as a sponsor, as well as with BP or Not BP, um, a 
theater group who uh, uses little Shakespeare puns and kind of interjects in the Royal Shakespeare Theater to convince them to drop their oil funders. Um, this is this is a, this is no this is a phenomenal uh, and I just wanted you know I, my audience knows that I'm I'm unabashed in appraising and and really cur- encouraging people to come out for uh, events that I think are just really phenomenal events and this is one of them and this is um in a, just a, a a tremendous combination of um, art music. You know, enriching moments, fun, and very serious talk about um, our future. So, I congratulate you on this. And and y'all, you need to get out to this. Now let's talk about where, because I do have to bring up my. I have two other sure. segments to get to before the end of my show. So, um, the Broad Theater the broad is theater. where you want to be on April second through fifth for the screenings. The Joan Mitchell Center is where you want to be for the equity phase of this discussion and events and uh, on the 6th uh, from 5 to 830. Um, uh, complicity is Joan Mitchell Center again, April 7th, 9 to uh, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. So that's a real all day. Uh, that must be Saturday. It's Saturday. It okay. includes an environmental justice tour, um, which is unfortunately already fully booked. We're trying to see if we can get another bus. Oh, that'll be great. <laughs> so it really is uh, then 12 to 7 at Joe Mitchell for those who won't okay. be going on the uh, on first. The, bus the first. Uh, right. And then your vision to action, the planning part, which um, I know everybody in New Orleans loves to plan now. We all learned how to do that after Katrina oh, with great results <laughs> in some cases, not so great in others. But um, uh, And then Grodat Youth Farm is the scene uh, for that. And yeah. And then finally, of course, the after party. Uh, why not? And that's April 8th, 7 p.m. to 12 a.m. <laughs> and if I can just say... Are you going on vacation after this? I, yeah. You'll take that's a little another break. conversation. <laughs> if I could just say that uh, the after party at Ace Hotel, uh, the official after party is uh, at Three Keys featuring uh, Juju Child and the Hypnotic Roots. Um, so we're really excited to be able to confirm that the official after party will feature both DJ Afro Anarchy um, from 7 to 9.30, and uh, uh, they will be uh, welcoming in Juju Child and the hypnotic roots in three keys. So, Perfect. Great. Great way to end. A fantastic event, and I, I, I'm sure and I assume that you'll be doing a lot of recording yeah. Uh, both video and audio, and um, a we'll welcome. We'll be live streaming as well for those of you who uh, can't get in. Okay, tell me about that. So how do people pick that up? So we'll be Facebook live streaming, and I am such a Luddite, <laughs> but we will uh, figure it out and have some uh, Facebook live streaming from our Facebook page, so facebook.com forward slash Fossil Free Fest. Okay, do that one more time. Facebook.com forward slash Fossil Free Fest. Uh, is how you'll be able to find the live streaming once that happens and our website where you can register. And please get in there and register for these events. They are free and open to the public, but we want to make sure we have enough food for everyone. That website is fossilfreefest.org. Fossil Free Fest. Yep. <laughs> you know, why not? If we could do a festival for macaroni and cheese and for donuts and for... I don't know, fried chicken, you name it, we can certainly do it to call attention to the very, very serious issue of um, 
the pollution that's coming from our fossil fuels and how we can do better. And we will, because there are signs of it, lots of examples of it. All the, all the um, photovoltaic panels we see on homes around the city since Katrina is, is one small indication that we're taking this seriously. Imani, yeah. thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you for coming by. Yeah, have a blast. Pleasure. Do well. Thank and you. Um, if you have some short videos, send them my way. I'll put a, a, link, a link to them on our newsletter when it goes out to our Cool. millions of people who awesome. pick up our newsletter. Thank, Thank you so much. You. All right, I'm going to invite my next guest in. And um, So who wants to go first, fashionistas or pub crawl? Fashionistas. You know, I make fun. It's not fair to call these ladies fashionistas because they one is very serious about the industry, and it's a creative industry, and the other has been working... For, with Mary Landrew for years and doing very serious work, but they also uh, attend to, I call it the art. When my husband wants to tease me about my love for fashion, and I, I just beat him right back. And I say, you know, Tannen, you're an artist and you love your art. I love art too, and I like art on my body just as much as I like it around my body in my home and in museums and in art studios and out in the public. So um, I, take it, I take it very seriously, and I've been reading my fashion magazine since I was a girl in the Bronx in, in high school. I mean, seriously, buying the magazines. I don't even know where I got the money for it because, you know, I worked. I worked as a waitress from, you know, as a bake counter girl and a waitress from the time I was 16 as soon as, soon as I could get out there and work, right? I would just stand there in the grocery store and flip through the magazine. I did that too. Memorize it. <laughs> yeah, I remember being in the country in North Louisiana, you know, looking in magazines and saying, well, you know what, I want to wear that when I grow up. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like that when I grew up. See, and I was lucky. I had, I lived, I grew up in the Bronx, and I could hop on the su- subway and go down to Bloomingdale's at 59th and Lex and hit the sale racks. And you could buy, back in the day, it's not like now when the designer stuff is in the thousands of dollars. Back in the day, you could get designer stuff on sale in a place like Bloomingdale's for like less than a hundred dollars. Oh wow! So it might be a hit for me, but I could do it. You know, it was just a whole different. It was a whole different thing. So actually, that's a, a pretty good place for us to jump in. And first of all, introduce yourselves and what you do, because you're not just fashionistas. Mm-hmm. I mean, Laverne is a very serious gal. She's been working with Mary Landrew for many, many years. Now she's working as the. CAO for St. John the Baptist Parish. That's that's quite a mouthful, that name of that parish. (laughs) Great parish. (laughs) And, um, you know, straight from the runways of the Fashion Week. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And it was awesome, too. It It was the best. Well, did you go? Oh, I think I was you there every, every night. Year. I, oh, I go every year. I think I've only missed one, and I was there every night. I think I missed one night. But uh, from Sunday uh, at the museum to Monday for the tricentennial. But yeah. you know what? I'll let the founder of Fashion oh. Week talk about Tracy all that activity. Dundas, who is the last founder week. and executive producer of New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans. Fa- I don't believe I, I reverted right back there to a Yankee way of saying New Orleans. Um, uh, (laughs) Where did that come from? Oh, my God. Tracy Dundas, founder and executive producer of the New Orleans Fashion Week. Okay. 
So I, I, I want to, first of all, my excuse for doing this right this moment is that we are now finally, um, I wouldn't say even on the verge anymore, we, we are dipping our toes pretty deep into the water of spring. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And so it, we are able, look at us, we're all in cotton. Right. right. Yes. No sweaters. No. I'm usually covered with with heavy um, uh, scarves and shawls. And no, I just have my little small scarf on right it's now. All lightweight and airy and breezy. Right. Mm-hmm. And and when I, you know, one of the last things I do at night when when I want to calm down and get myself, I'll read the darn New York Times on on the phone and I'll say, Gene, stop, stop, and I'll say, okay, let's go to Vogue fashion runway mm-hmm. and go look at, uh, uh, you know, pick a designer and just watch what they were had on the runway and sort of get design ideas. And I was looking at, um, let's see, Dries Van Noten. Is that how you pronounce it? Dries Van Noten? Hmm. Are you familiar with the designer? Okay, so he did this year. He's a terrific, you would love him. Mm-hmm. You would love him. He's, 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 he does beautiful stuff. I knew him when he had a little shop on Madison Avenue on the second floor, and he was a nobody. He's a big deal now, but he works a lot with I, – I bet you're not a big print girl, are you? Mm-mm. No. So he does a lot of prints. Mm-hmm. But what he did this year is he had the jackets, mm-hmm. and then after the jacket, it was just sheer. Ooh. You know, And sheer is a big word right now, isn't mm-hmm. it? Do you yeah. do sheer, love? No, I'm still a little on the conservative side. I'm I'm getting to prints now. Um, I've always liked solids and, you know, the typical brown, blacks, and blues. But now I'm getting into more of the spring, you know, the yellow, orange, and pinks. Um, and my blues, of course, you know, after Easter we can wear our seersuckers, so I can't wait to start, you know, wearing those wonderful light cotton type of garments. If I could just find seersucker loose jackets like the one I have on right now, because I can't wear suit jackets anymore. My arms are just not, don't love those tight jacket <laughs> sleeves anymore. So, um, yeah, I love seersucker. I love the fabric. I love how cool it is in the mm-hmm. summer. And, you know, we invented it practically in New Orleans. Yeah, well, um, we actually, did. they had a actually, segment about yes. seersucker, and it was quite interesting. Oh, is your show? Yeah, tell yeah. us a little. You yeah. had some people doing seersucker? Well, one of the events that New Orleans Fashion Week did was uh, the evolution of fashion and celebrating 300 years of New Orleans fashion. So, specifically, we touched on different different periods within New Orleans and then me- mashed it up with fashion. So when we talk seersucker, um, you have to think of Haspel, the Mr. Haspel, who actually introduced seersucker to New Orleans and that easy, breezy, flowing mm-hmm. cotton fabric that we all know and love, and, and it's just a southern charm. So, um, yeah, we, we touched on it during Fashion Week. Sometimes I don't recognize my husband because <laughs> he he's a former Yankee, a reformed Yankee, as I call us. and and But he loves seersucker uh, and cord, mm. right, suits. Yeah. And, um, and then he'll wear his little... Gold, his little um, binocular, what, not binocular, what do you call them? Bifocals. Bifocals. And oh. um, a bow tie. Mm-hmm. Yep, and he might even have a damn straw hat on. And I'll say, you know oh, that's, that's my he, God, who he, am I married to? <laughs> well, you know, that's what, what when I southern met, gentleman is this? <laughs> when I met Bob, he had on a seersucker. Oh, his, is that right? Yep, and his uh, white cotton shirt and his bow tie and 
and his bifocals and uh, his, uh, what do you call it, saddle shoes, are they? What you call no, them? he's not. Thank God. <laughs> he doesn't wear <laughs> saddle shoes. I thought he had on a pair of saddle no, shoes. No, he's never worn a pair of saddle shoes. <laughs> I don't he know. Well, you sneakers. Know. He wears sneakers. Well, maybe that was sneakers. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> he has yeah. a, you know, he has a, a, a disability, so he, he drags one of his legs, and he's got a, uh, sneakers work better for him. He used to wear real fancy church's shoes that mm-hmm. he would get on sale <laughs> or that I would find for him. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I just want to take credit for his bow ties because those are a very fancy bow tie, you know. Mm-hmm. They're called Charvet, mm-hmm. C-H-A-R-V-E-T. Okay. And mm-hmm. that comes from Paris. I can't afford them anymore. I buy them on eBay used now mm-hmm. because <laughs> that when I first started buying them, they were still under 100. Mm-hmm. Now they've gone the other direction. Mm-hmm. But those, they're the, those are the best bow They are the best bow ties you, you can buy anywhere in the whole world. Just keep this in mind. If you ever wind up with a bow tie-wearing boyfriend, you have to think Charvet. And they get them at Bergdorf's. It's the only place I know mm. in America to get them. Well, um, well gee, you um, know, no gee, boyfriend uh-oh. here. Remember, I am, <laughs> I'm a happily married woman. <laughs> well, introduce him to bow ties. Well, I, well, you know, he wears bow ties every once in a while. But, okay. Uh, he's still so on that conservative side. Christmas. No, mm-hmm. uh, hey, I did, they're not flamboyant. Mm-hmm. They're oh, no, just, they're, they're conservative. They're, you've yeah. seen tennis yeah. ties. They're yeah. they're rich fabrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can be bright. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got some oranges and purples in there. Mm-hmm. He lent a purple one once to Jacques. We never saw it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he, you know, it's interesting. James had on a purple tie and a green tie, but it was around Mardi Gras. Yeah. And for somebody who, you know, is from Chicago and moved from here from Atlanta, uh, he has caught on to the culture uh, quite quickly, in my opinion. So he's uh, getting to the Mardi Gras theme and whatever else comes along. <laughs> so so let's, that's actually, uh, that brings up a question. So we, we're talking about spring fashions in general, sort of, kind of. We're kind of weaving around the subject. But how would you say, um, you know, I wish we had more fashions coming out of New Orleans that reflect our culture in particular and the Southern culture. I, I don't think we do enough of that. But how would you describe the the fashion context of New Orleans as compared with other places. Yes, one thing we do is we do dress a little bit more exuberantly than maybe some other places. How else would you hmm. differentiate how we dress here from other places? I think when people ask me that question, I normally my my, my go-to answer is that we're not cookie cutter. You know, so one of the beautiful things about New Orleans is that you could be uptown and you'll see a certain Je ne sais quoi. And then you can go to the Bywaters and you'll see just a whole different style and vibe of dressing, you know. So I think Uptown tends to be more Southern charming and, and go to the traditional things that we know and love, monogramming and, you know, like very prim and proper. But then we have this whole boho vibe as well. And um, But at the end of the day, it's all about comfort, I think, re- regardless of what spectrum you're on. Mm-hmm. Laverne, your perspective? Well, you know, as a, as a person who's 50-plus, you know, my primary <laughs> purpose uh, for dressing is for comfort. And I think that here in New Orleans primarily is, um, you know, people dress according to their, to their I guess, their lifestyle, lifestyle mm-hmm. correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, you know, people uptown are a little bit different than those that may be, 
you know, New Orleans East or whatever. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just basically what their lifestyle. So it's about comfort. And I see that a lot now. I see people not wearing high heel shoes as often sure. as much. I see now that the flat shoes are now are more popular and people are now wearing jeans more. You know, I remember a time I didn't even own a pair of jeans and now <laughs> I, I do. Matter of fact, I wore a pair of jeans at Fashion Week, which was quite interesting. But um, I, I think now, and even with the millennials now, you know, when we, Jean and I, because Tracy, she's not our age. Uh, she's young. <laughs> You're not my age either. Come on. Give me a break. You know, I mean, for us, um, we would go to the office and we would be all dressed up and we would look forward to carrying that briefcase and that suit. And now, you know, with the millennials, they're more, you know, dressed down. You know what they are? They're whatever. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. That's whatever. They're just whatever. Absolutely. I agree. Mm -hmm. But they're totally different than, you know, in our era. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, I remember when I first got out of college and I was going to work in New York. Boy, I, I'll tell you, every day was, uh, you know, a, a good part of my morning was spent putting together, you know, some very tailored mm-hmm. but colorful still and, you know, fashion-oriented outfit. Outfit. Of course, now my office is in my home, so I hate to tell you what I wear every day. Mm-hmm. For, first of all, whatever is at the foot of the bed, that's my first choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not just comfort. It's just pure convenience. What did I have from last night? A little sparkly? That'll do just fine. <laughs> what did I have from last night? Was I just wearing my, you know, again, I don't wear jeans, but I'll wear just cotton leggings and loose tops. That'll be what goes on. But... um in the fashion shows, from our designers here, what are they doing? What are they? How would you characterize again what you're seeing in in terms of trends? You know, I think I see a lot of um, a lot of color still. Um, very um, uh, uh, geometric cuts and things. You know, like uh, designers are really our local designers are really putting their own signature and mark on what they're creating. Um, they, they maybe kind of rely on the influ- uh, be influenced by the national brands, but, but they're not copying anything. And I think that's what makes it very unique and keep it original. Truly original. Original, yeah. original. Of all the things you saw at the fashion show, Laverne, what did you like the most? Uh, the uh, table mat. The, the designer who made the oh, table mats. Oh, uh, designer Clinton Downing. Yeah. He had this beautiful, it was a pink and a green one. And uh, I said, you know what, I really want that dress. And, he, and he's very unique. Wait, wait. Table <laughs> You know those uh, those round uh, yeah. table mats that you have on your table, right? Uh-huh. Where he actually made this oh, So he made clothes out of them. Yes. He oh, made, my God. He made, uh, he made uh, so a So very sort of cystic... 60s, that's what you meant by geometric, was the, the patterns. Patterns, yes, and and and. But he's very things. unique, though. I mean, he recycles. Mm-hmm. He does recycle. Right. Mm-hmm. So repurposing he, and recycling. Oh, and, I love uh, it. Yeah. What, what's and his he, name? Uh, Clinton. Clinton Downing. Clinton. So he has Is a, he online? Can I see him online? Yes. Well, okay, he definitely is on up. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, okay. and I can show you a few of his pictures um, of his wares, mm-hmm. but... That to me was like I I want that dress and I I, I know Thanks. exactly where I'm going to wear it but it would be totally it was different. A, well, but you would stand out. It was a cocktail dress. Right? They, were, they looked like rosettes throughout the dress. Yep, that's right. And and I and I was in awe. I was like, wow, who would have thought 
that you could take this material and it was it was had a, a texture feel to oh, it, yeah. a little shine. It it, it was uh, yeah. very unique. Very. So if, if anything, that would be the dress that I would mm -hmm, take home with mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. I, I may wear it once or twice, but definitely <laughs> I would wear it. Really? Would you buy something that you would only wear once or twice? I wear everything over and <laughs> over and over again. Yeah, yeah. I guess <laughs> I would only, I wear I would only not wear it over and over again if it didn't fit well or mm -hmm. didn't really look that great on me. Well, you know, the interesting thing for me when I wear clothes, uh, especially something like that designer, because, you know, I have this reputation of being a designer girl. But however, I wear uh, things that I really do like. It's not about the labels. It's just something that I really, really right. like. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm very and, and loyal to And you like it brand. not just from the standpoint of what looks good on you, but the the artistic qualities oh, of it, right? I, I yeah. just love art, you know, and even yeah. though I, I have no, I don't know how to draw, I don't know how to sew or any of that, but I have such a love for it and a passion for it. But I would wear that dress, not just because I like it, but also an opportunity to showcase his wares, you yeah. know. And so for me, it's, it's a multiple of, of things that I would do, you know, when I wear something like that or, or when I wear clothes, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's more of a, uh, uh, walking billboard, I guess you would say, because you want people to walk up to you and ask you, you know, what is that, you know, and, and I let them know, you know, particular designer or whatever it is, because I just, you know, I, I just love fashion. You know, um, so uh, of the all the designers that you saw in the show, and I'm so sorry I didn't get to go. I've been a couple times, and I really, I really do enjoy it. Yeah, you and I have a picture together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> of, of all the designers that you saw. Who would you say would be somebody for me? So I'm I'm not a skinny rail. I'm not a as I call them an X-ray. You know <laughs> who was a bonfire of the vanities? Uh, who was the author? Tom. Oh God, I'm going to forget his last name. But you know who who made a fun of the social elite being X-rays. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm not oh, an X-ray. So um, who, okay. who would who would you think that I would like? Now, this jacket, which I kind of, this is made by, I'm not going to remember her name right now either, but she always uh, shows up at the Congo Square. She's from Chicago. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know who I'm talking about. Um, anyway, she makes, I must have this about, is beautiful. I have about 10 of these jackets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think of it as being Balenciaga-ish. The only thing I wish is that it was a little longer because mm -hmm. as as you sit there in the computer, <laughs> your bottom continues to develop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I wish I had more long longer um, jackets, but who would you who would you say for those of us who um, you know love our New Orleans cuisine, who would you who would you recommend? I think Tracy, yeah. Yeah, you know when you're saying that um, Dillard's, do you remember Dillard's fashion show? They showed um, exclusive with one designer, Bryn Walker. Bryn Walker has these beautiful, um, kind of reflecting the, the t like the top you wore with your jeans that day. They, they kind of uh, envelope and, and have different structure to it, but also comfortable and, and designed for all figure types, all shapes. So, uh, Bren, so Bren or Brent? Bren. Bren uh, Walker. Okay, I'll check them out. B-R-Y-N Walker. Okay. And to your point, in that show, we had one beautiful model, Kathy, who who is proud to tell her age. She was 50, is 58 years old. She's a baby. Ah! 
Are you well, kidding? Thank, thank I hate you. to tell you what birthday I have coming up this summer. Oh. I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, as much as I love having birthday parties, I'm almost tempted not to have one this summer because oh. I think I want everybody to know how old I am. Oh, we're celebrating. Oh, amazing. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think I'm putting that out there. <laughs> uh-uh, no. I mean, there are some very elegant ladies in my generation. And, whoa. Okay. Um, most important thing you want to say about the design industry of New Orleans and what the future of it looks like. You know, when we started Fashion Week in 2011, I didn't dream it was going to be, we'd make eight seasons. And so one of the highlights of our event is always being to showcase emerging designers. Um, we have our top design competition uh, where one designer of the 10 is selected and, and wins this wonderful prize. So um, uh, I think that speaks volumes to what we're doing and creating and creating success some sustainability and, uh, um, in, in our markets, you know. Great. Great. And how do you – tell me, of all the trends that you've noticed coming up this spring, which one do you love the most? What, what, what's, uh, what are you craving besides the, um, the uh, seersucker, the return of seersucker <laughs> for the season? Yeah, interesting enough, it goes back to what we stated earlier regarding prints. Um, I started this thing now with uh, the plaids and the stripes, you know, mm -hmm. different fabrics, uh, different uh, fabric patterns. Um, so I'm, I'm experimenting, and uh, it worked pretty good for me doing fashion. I can see you in that so easily mm -hmm. because you, uh, you always have such an elegance about you no matter what you have on. Um, you can carry that. Listen, well, I wanted to say this very quick, though. Yeah. I am doing something out of the ordinary. I don't okay. like hats. But I have fallen in love with this particular designer who makes hats, and she's actually making me a Eric Baidu hat. Oh with wow! The, with the third eye. So I am <laughs> so excited about. Who's the about designer? Mimi. Mimi Holiday. Someone. Yeah, Mimi, Mimi Holiday. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. another thing that I love, and I buy a lot of. Although I don't really look that great in hats. The only hat that I really look good in is a beret. But. Um, and uh, in the winter, I love to wear my little berets that I used to buy on the streets of New York for 6 or $7. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they're not around. You can't get, pick those up around uh, easily either. Ladies, I could go on. I mean, I, I, I want you back. We'll do a summer session um, uh, maybe sometime around June, July. And, Would and, love to. And talk about uh, how to deal with the, you know, what's coming. It's not here yet, but it's coming. Um, and uh, I know that, uh, um, yeah, oh, thank you for reminding me. I didn't get my little snapshots of my gals here. That's and I've so got to do sweet. that before they disappear. Hello. Thank you, Jean. And <laughs> hello. Okay. Thank well, you thank for you, Jean, us. for allowing us to speak, talk uh, about something that we love. It's not allowing. I'm ca I can't tell you how much I enjoy it. And uh, as I say, I, it's, it's really it's my little well, passion. Well, we're excited about having an opportunity to talk about something that we're very passionate about. <laughs> uh, by the way, I forgot I wanted to tell you this. You know, at um, UA, UAL on uh, on Charter Street in the, in the French Quarter, mm -hmm. they ha I love Marnie. It's not the easiest designer to wear because a lot of her stuff is – but there's a coat there that is it's a little too tight for me. It's made out of kind of a heavier uh, stuff, and it's a great big, bold print. You've just got to go check it out, though, because Ooh. it was extremely expensive. It's still pricey, but um, – 
Marnie, M-A-R-N-I, mm-hmm. one of my favorites, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Go check it out. You want to see you oh, giving me an excuse to go to your Let's go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> shopping. Just say the word and I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I love their men's shirts. Mm-hmm. I buy the men's shirts for my husband, but then I wear them. Mm-hmm. And they, they always have these, like, you know, $400 European shirts for $60. So, um, you know, still a little pricier than most people spend for a shirt, but they're always, like, super great. Next time you see Tan and then he has a great shirt on, it's me. <laughs> but, I also, but, look, I'm also going to direct him to my husband as well. Okay. All right. All right. right. Thank you, ladies. I've got to save some time here and talk about this great pub uh, crawl that uh, my gal here has put uh, together. And um, I kind of, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have taken fashion before you. That's okay. I apologize because I get a little bit lost. I'm fashion girl. I'm wearing, I'm literally wearing a shirt that somebody gave me that was too big. I cut it, tied it, and it's actually look at that backwards. (laughs) Right? No, it it definitely has a fashion. A fashion <laughs> aspect nice to it. Nice to see y'all. All right. So we have Michelle. How do you pronounce your last name? It's Michonne. Michonne. And, and, and Michelle's the founder of Bon Maman. Bon Maman. Culinary uh, Tours. She is a culinary hound, clearly, with a love of cooking, a love of the communal table, and a desire to bring people together. And that's what she's doing coming up on this week. April 5th. April 5th, so the weekend after. Mm-hmm. And I'm so we'll run another thing out. in our, uh, you what? I'm almost sold out. You're I've kidding me. Like five tickets what are you left. doing here? I'm pushing those last five tickets, girl. No, you're serious. <laughs> There's only five tickets? Yeah, left? yeah. Okay, five people. You better call in right away. <laughs> what are they, how do they uh, get so the tickets? To get them, um, so my website. You've got to expand it. You I, have to uh, uh, do You know, five. the restaurants only can take so many people at a time. And so that's kind of what it um, boils down to is that I can squeeze in about 30 people at restaurants and before they lose their minds and, and can't handle the uh, regular Oh, you have to add just a little bit. I'm gonna, well, Push people can, always, people can also always book me privately for events if they have, like, a group of friends for a birthday party or friends club or um, some sort of, uh, like, a, a family night, like a friend night, like a dinner out night or a supper club. Um, so people How about just when you're that. too tired to cook during the week? And that. But you got to get some friends to come with you. <laughs> okay. Um, give me the skinny real so the quick scoop, on what you're doing. The plug is yeah. um, April 5th. Is uh, It's going to be My Fair Mid-City. It's a food tour. I love that name, by it's, the way. It's because yeah. the rain always falls in Mid-City. <laughs> I love a good musical. Yeah. Um, so we're going to try four restaurants and a surprise stop, probably another little surprise. And you stop. won't tell us which they are. No, because I think it really keeps the the mystery. This, and people is, really like that. And people like figure. A lot of people have figured it out. And there's a lot of, of great out, restaurants in in Mid City. They're now. hiding. And uh, so the, the steez with this is that Bombamont started um, kind of as a way to get locals out to try new restaurants and new areas of town that they might not have visited before. So maybe they go to Mid-City, but there's going to be at least one of these four places that they've never been to, um, probably more than one. And it's just a way to get them into um, out to eat again and out, to, out, of their, out of their comfort zone and their regulars. Um, I take care of everything when you buy the ticket, the tax, the tip, the food, and the cocktail are all curated. So it really is like once you pay your ticket, you're, I mean, you're in my hands, and it's just a lot of fun. It's a great social um, social experiment. <laughs> 
some people um, come at other couples and they come as groups of friends, but they always end up talking to each other. Um, it's got a huge demographic between you know people in their 20s to people that are new to town that want to see new things to people in their 60s that just haven't gone out a lot after Katrina to their once their their regulars and their favorites closed and are curious about sort of what's coming up in in the scene in New Orleans. So. And, and I think what's so fascinating about the culinary scene in New Orleans right now when mm-hmm. I first came here, of course. I immediately became addicted to classic Creole, mm-hmm. uh, cla- classic Cajun, um, classic soul, you know, so just yeah. the southern food. Um, but now it, it, we are and, – and I, I left behind New York where it was very international – uh, kind of culinary scene, but we're approaching that now. We, we have so it, many it, new restaurants. We have such a, a diaspora of um, cuisine here. All of it affected by the quiz, by the um, ingredients, the fresh ingredients yeah. here. So there still is a Louisiana, New Orleans flavor to things, mm-hmm. but the range of food has just ex- uh, exploded. Well, and it's I, I like to you know food culture is is ever evolving. And it's evolving with people. And so has people become more farm-to-table interested? Has has we become a more immigration-heavy um, city where their native influences are coming back into New Orleans? New Orleanians have this thing where they're very um, – we're, we're, we're very – um, attached to our traditional ideas of what our food should be, but also we're we're learning and we're changing. Katrina kind of forced our hand on that a little bit, but it's our very French cultural way of of hanging on to our our traditions. Um, but we've always been a melting pot and then a melting pot at a necessity. And so this is kind of a DTB is a really good example of that. They're over on um, Oak Street. Um, they're a good example. Uh, uh, Red Dog Diner is another example of kind of these Delta. I've been to BT, but what's the other one? DTB. Red Dog Diner. They do. Um, I love pe- bringing people to them because they have a great atmosphere. But they're Raison. De- Red Dog Diner. Red Dog oh, Diner. No, over on okay. Magazine. All right. They're a, a Delta. Um, they're a Delta-inspired kitchen, but um, everything's fresh. All of their preserves are fresh. All their juices are fresh. So I love. I also do tours for for tourists, and so. It's, and I stay out of the French Quarter. And so it's a way for me to show off the city beyond those traditional tastes that people, Which is so important to do because so much it's all over the place now. Point. I mean, and people love that. People love being knowing the hot new thing. And, He's going to start cutting me off oh. uh, in seconds. So let me do okay, this. Sure. Cocktails. You have a cocktail event as part of this. Yeah. So you can get just a food ticket or you can do food and cocktails. Um, the menus are all curated by the chefs in the restaurants. Um, so more information, the, the website is www.bonmoment, B-O-N, M-O-M-E-N-T, NOLA, N-O-L-A. It's just a good moment. Mm-hmm. A good, a bon, good exactly, a bon moment. Yeah. It's a good time in French. So bonmomentnola.com, uh, the ticket site's from there, and hopefully we'll have stuff new, more stuff new soon. What did I tell you? Here Here it comes. Is. <laughs> He's like, I, you know, I'm going to have you back. We're going to talk some more. And, and what you're going to do next time you come is I'd like to get recipes. You know what? Yeah. Uh, Easter's coming. Ham, scalloped potatoes, you know, asparagus. Give me just one quick idea for something original and new that people could do for Easter to shake oh, things why up. Why you got to put me on the spot? I love a I lamb, mean, man. I love a good lamb. Put a lamb.